Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothkopf. I am in New York City, in London, England, about to start her job at IIS. S is... (laughs) Two S's is great. Not to be confused with IS or ISIS. Yes, no, I have ISIS. not joined ISIS. I have joined the double I double S. Yes, which, which is very different. Um, is Corey Shockey in the uh, third sub basement of the min- Ministry of Snark? Is Ed Luce of the Financial Times and somewhere, I think at her office at Georgetown University, uh, is Rosa Brooks. Now, in our last episode, we concluded with a bit of a discussion about um, how Corey should go out and buy the, uh, <laughs> the, the the new version of the TR of Optimism that she saw at Dolce & Gabbana. Um, and uh, Rosa goes out in the backyard every day and picks new thorns for her heavy, thorny crown of entropy. <laughs> and while we were off air, uh, Ed made a complaint. And and honestly, I didn't think it was a complaint that should be made off air. I thought it was a complaint that should be made on air so it could be judged by our listeners. And I am going to cover my ears until this section yeah, is over because I've I already so. heard it. Okay, well, that's your privilege. Um, and maybe you want to think about getting earmuffs on that tiara of optimism. In fact, come to think of it, perhaps the, the only the way the tiara, tiara of, of optimism, optimism yeah. it has pink fluffy earmuffs attached. They come with it. Yeah. No, they're yeah. rose cup. They're roses on the outside of the headphones. It's gorgeous. Yeah, and I would say probably that's the only way it works. But Ed, well, I, I, is, I, I was. What is the honor that you feel you deserve? I, I, I feel that I deserve as what, what I've, I put forward. I believe very eloquently in a previous episode that we need a a Bose. Uh, noise cancelling uh, earphones of pessimism, which is exactly what oh, I said. Oh, that's not. Um, no, I, I no, think no. it was. Thank you for that, but, but we that. Yeah. That's They're very efficient. Three hundred dollars on Amazon. I'm super happy. You can get them in <laughs> oh silver. You can get them in pink. That's that all. is so weak. <laughs> it is so weak of you. When. What you said was that self-preservation you... kicks in. <laughs> Feel okay, like you I will deserve... fess up. I will fess yeah. up. I thought I'd been really clever in suggesting that uh, you know I, I should have I should have the nipple piercing of pessimism, um, uh... precisely, precisely because I am the last person that I can imagine having their nipples pierced. But it just had a certain sort of closely non-alliterative <laughs> ring to it. Um, and uh, and it just didn't catch on. So that you've got to you've got to you've got to repeat something at least twice before uh, uh, b- before potential consumers will think about buying it. And this is my second repetition. 
Well, we'll, so we'll I, see how the audience reacts to that, Ed. Uh, there may be massive demand, in which case you <laughs> can go with some of our favorite listeners to the piercing parlor of pessimism. I, but I switched to, to noise cancelling um, earphones. So and I've actually I dropped the whole nipple piercing. Yeah. I'm very happy about it. Yes. And thank you. <laughs> okay. I felt that was a discussion that we needed to have. I want to have one more slightly light discussion before we get into some heavier stuff. But I, I, I noticed, you know, a tweet, as I sometimes do. This one came from Brad Becker Parton, who is actually, to be honest, the fiance of my daughter Joanna. Yay! Um, yeah, yeah, and and who's a filmmaker, and he he tweeted the following: "Wow, how will we? How will he ever recover? Fucking recover from this inspiring display of bravery?" And it's a reference to the West Wing cast denouncing Donald Trump by doing an all the president's men live reading, and. I, and I just think we're living in an age of of some really especially hollow protests. <laughs> and you know, I mean, this I is, agree. This is, this is like you know, these guys are register, standing. Go register people to vote. Go uh, right. Do something constructive. <laughs> this is so lame. These actors are sitting there, and there's the oh yes, we're going to stand up to Donald Trump by reading all the president's men. Um, uh, and because we were once in a fake administration in the West Wing, this will carry double power. <laughs> Wait, you're telling me that that wasn't real? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh. <laughs> sorry. I know we all wanted the West Wing to be real, although I have to say that administration was a little Obama-esque for me. Um, it was it was a little idealized and um, idealistic and not very pragmatic, don't you think? I mean, how, where... where <laughs> Where do, where do you come out on 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 the uh, the West Wing administration, Rosa? Uh, well, I'm going to defer to Corey on this because, in fact, I lied. I, I didn't actually watch it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Can I, can I just so, say, since you're from, this is a very quick intervention, Corey. Before you give your answer, uh, I have, for the first ever time in recent uh, weeks watch The Sopranos because I was living in India when The Sopranos first came out and so I missed uh, almost all of it and I have for the first ever time watched it and I've picked up all kinds of New Jersey slang that I hope can sort of make me feel even more in with David than I already am. <laughs> Things like I got a guy and what are you going to do? Um, and all kinds of <laughs> all kinds of phrases that David you're going to feel real you're going to feel a certain fraternity with me from now on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway, really. Nothing to do with the West have Wing. You, There's roughly sort of roughly. Have got, you seen the movie Mickey Blue Eyes? Yes. <laughs> okay, so I will weigh because, in on the West because Wing. Because you trying to say forget about it is <laughs> forget about it. Oh, Hugh Grant. Is, got it. All right. All right. Okay. Yeah. I'll shut up now. <laughs> so I loved the West Wing. I thought it was a really fun TV show and it created the mistaken impression among many that that American government is high-minded and principled and there are no uh, evil, self-serving, small-minded bigots anywhere in it. And, and that is only 88% true. It's not 100% true, as 
as portrayed in the West Wing. But it also gave people a sense of how hard a lot of these decisions are. And that the White House is the place where the politics comes into contention with the policy. I actually thought West Wing brought that out really nicely. I thought it was a great show. I loved it. Well, you but didn't... I agree. But I agree with David that that seriously, um, more Hollywood actors uh, explaining to to us uh, what we ought to be doing for the country and making a pointless gesture in that regard, as opposed to oh, I don't know, uh, going to uh, Tom Cotton's electoral rallies and arguing the opposite case to whatever Tom is arguing. Uh, that would be a lot more practical thing to do. I, I totally agree with you. By the way, you did not, none of you had to suffer as I did. Well, maybe, Ed, maybe you did. But I, as, as I did with so many folks in the Clinton administration, thinking that the characters in the West Wing were, <laughs> were modeled them. on them. <laughs> and and I would constantly have people, you know, at breakfast going, well, you know, this character's modeled after me. And uh, <laughs> this was you and Bill Clinton talking about Bartlett, I assume. Well, yeah, yeah right. And, and it, no, but it was several people in the administration going, oh, yeah, no, we, we consulted with them a lot. And that administration, it's very, very similar to us. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, gag me with a spoon. Yeah. But, you know, we get a lot of these kind of things these days in sort of dysfunctional America. I thought also particularly lame was the white roses at the Grammy Awards on Sunday night where they were saying, yeah, we care about women, but only 9% of the last 900 Grammy nominees have actually been women. And most of the winners at the Grammys were men. And when asked about it, the head of the uh, the, the, the Grammy organization said, well, I think the thing that it's going to take to fix that is for women to step up and, be, <laughs> you know, and and be, you know, take take the chance to be an engineer <laughs> and get awards. Women should just step up and get some more awards. Damn it. Yeah. And, and meanwhile, and then they would cut to like these numbers that, well, yes, we care a lot about women. And then, you know, a bunch of naked women would come out and sing a song about, you know, shaking this or whatever. I mean, yeah. Despacito, <laughs> folks, translate it. Go translate Despacito. And before, you know, if that song were in English, it would not be on a radio station anywhere in America. Uh, but uh, that, uh, you know, we, we it was apparently we don't think anybody speaks Spanish in this country where there are almost 100 million people who speak David, Spanish. You forgot one other pointless gesture, which was everybody wearing black at a major awards show. <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, that was that, that was a that was a pointless gesture. I mean, there have been some gestures that were meaningful. Melania not going to Davos, I thought was a good <laughs> thought, small but effective protest. I, right. was, I was I was a small pr protest and I and I think during the state of the union the fact that she held up a small sign saying help me I, you know, so extremely. You know what? I'm not in the free Melania category. Uh, I can hear my dear mother's voice echoing in the back of my mind saying, they are saving two other people, right? Like she voluntarily entered into this. She voluntarily remains a part of this. Be grateful they're saving two other people. 
Yeah, well, I, I'm with I'm I'm with your dear mother. I think this is just uh, absolutely. Uh, uh, I don't know. It's 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 a it's a bit of a mania. Um, meanwhile, the world continues spinning on its axis. The State of the Union comes. The State of the Union goes. These investigations come. These investigations go. And I was flipping through some of the stories that took place the week before at Davos. And, you know, Trump blew in. He's this kind of orange tornado. And, you know, nobody can talk about anything else. And then, you know, you have like these little sort of asides that don't get picked up by the press, like the head of Google, which is by valuation the largest company in the world, stands up and he says, you know, the invention of artificial intelligence is bigger in my book than the invention of fire or the wheel. And we really need to come and deal with this in some way. And I thought, yeah, that's true. We're not talking about that stuff. Or, or, or Trump was given a, a dumb speech about, you know, that was just full of lies, just like the State of the Union was full of lies, you know, just things that are just not true or th- him taking credit for things. Meanwhile, the Chinese were all over the place, working meetings, getting people into the one belt, one road, you know, having meetings in Chile and other things simultaneously. You know, they're like doing diplomacy and we're like, you know, giving speeches and trying to get as many, uh, you know, uh, photo ops for the president is make him happy. And we're missing all the big stuff that's happening in the world. Um, and I just, you know, you know, Ed, you sometimes write about big stuff. What, you know, do, do, <laughs> do, you th- do, do you think one of the big problems of Trump is the opportunity cost that he's sucking all the oxygen out of the room at precisely the moment? I mean, just take the rise of China or the advent of these new technologies. These are like epochal. These are, you know, once in a couple of century events or more. And 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 we're not talking about them. We're not. Although I think as you began this, the second, I mean, the chief executive of Google is, and I'm sure of Applied Materials and of Intel. So when we say we, you know, I think... Uh, I think corporate America, and I suspect people who work at DARPA, you know, and the National Science Foundation and NIH, they're sort of very well aware of the uh, of the major Chinese drive that is on to dominate not just artificial intelligence, um, you know, but to be world leader, you know, across the board in terms of cutting edge technology. Um, we, to the extent we, uh, by, by which I mean sort of beltway creatures, swamp, swampish creatures, to the extent that we we do pay attention to this, tend to see it all through a, a partisan lens about small budgetary battles, you know, and Trump's, you know, dead on arrival budget last year did propose cuts to NASA. It did propose cuts to funding of intelligent research at a time when, as you know, China is is making it a national priority and making no secret out of the fact that it is a, a national um, priority. And I think that to the extent that Silicon Valley leaders, for example, are educated about the public sector's role in their um, success, which is considerable. Uh, you know, it is the the fundamental, the basic research that Washington was was such an important part of that 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 was indispensable to their success. Um, and the degree to which China is now modeling its uh, sort of equivalent Sputnik moment um, drive on that. 
um, then that you know then 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 I'm less worried. Then you know you know they're they're aware. They're telling presumably everybody who asks them, not just the chief executive of of Google and um, the former chief executive of. Alphabet, uh, Chairman of Alphabet, Eric Schmidt, has been banging on about this for quite a long time. Um, the question is, you know, whether we, um, you know, who write for and consume the media in the Beltway are aware are aware of what's going on. And, and I, I worry we're not. I worry we're not. And I worry that the consequences of that are, you know, one zillionth time, trillion gigabyte more important than you know whether Trump you know reads well or not from a teleprompter, um, or 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 whether the orange tornado goes down well uh, in the Swiss Alps or not. It's just so <laughs> much more consequential. What I mean, Rosa. I mean, you know, are are we sort of missing the main themes here? I mean, well, I think. Ed is quite right uh, in the words, the old joke, what you mean, we, um, the, I, I do think that the U S media fixation, and this is frankly not different than any time in the previous decades, right? Uh, well, maybe it's, it's even, it's getting, it's been getting even worse, but the, but the U S media fixation is very much on U S domestic news, uh, and politics, uh, I think that we we fairly consistently pay too little attention to we pay too little attention in the media to, to several things. One of which is to sort of longer term underlying trends that don't tend to cause you know sudden catastrophes and so forth until much later. Um, they're not they, they they don't seem newsworthy. We think well nothing is happening. Uh, it's hard to write a story that people will read about something something long term and subtle. And so typically. We don't. Um, I think we also tend to, and, and this this has gotten worse in recent decades with the closure of so many foreign bureaus of major U.S. media outlets. A smaller and smaller portion of the pages in our newspapers and the time on the television news uh, that we watch is devoted to events outside of the United States, uh, unless it, in an immediate and direct way, seems to affect the United States. So, so, so in that sense, I think, yeah, absolutely. If the we is the U.S. media and the U.S. the sort of average member of the U.S. public, we're spending too little time thinking about this. But, but as as Ed said, if the we is the rest of the world, the rest of the world, surprisingly enough, has always been keenly interested in the rest of the world, um, which it finds uh, <laughs> finds of some relevance to itself. Um, you know, and and the the Chinese are paying attention. American tech companies are paying attention. Other major American na- multinationals are paying attention. Our allies and our adversaries are. Paying attention, I, 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 is there any way to get the American public to pay attention before it's too late? Frankly, probably not. Um, uh, although I would like to actually, just a small diversion. No one has yet succeeded in explaining to me one belt, one road, or more specifically the belt part of it. I get the road part, but Ed, can you explain <laughs> the belt part? What's the- well, actually, actually, the interesting part is that the road part is actually the sea. Right, the road is the sea connection, and the belt part is the connection across the middle of Asia. Wait a minute. minute. It's even more confusing. The belt is the road, and the road is the ocean. Rosa. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought that was just the polar road. (laughs) The other was actually the railroad. Look. Wait a minute. Basically, it's China trying to buy influence with connections to the rest of the world. Okay. Where does the belt come in? 
across Central Asia. Metaphoric level here. I'm missing the the belt. The belt goes from China across Central Asia into Europe and into the Middle East as well. And it's railroads and it's trade and it's other kinds of connections. All right. I'm I'm being too literal minded about this. I can tell. But uh, all right. I'll just let this go. (laughs) So I... Can I weigh in on the, are we missing uh, the big stuff? Yeah. Uh, So uh, for the most part, yes, with one important exception. So on the for the most part count, uh, we are missing the opportunity to undertake entitlement reform in a time frame that will make it, that will minimize the pain of what will ultimately be necessary for our country to remain solvent. We are missing the opportunity uh, to strengthen liberal democracies and market economies all over the place. We are missing the chance to uh, strengthen our friends in the world. We are missing the chance to Uh, practice the art of strategy in ways that minimizes the amount of effort needed to achieve your goals. One thing we are getting right, though, I think, I do think this, that it is to some extent justifiable that the United States is self-absorbed right now with the challenge of sustaining our democratic norms and institutions, figuring out why Donald Trump got elected, both in terms of external influence and in terms of understanding what the people who voted for him want and finding common enough common ground with them that we can build a basis of unity going forward. It is not, I think, entirely wrong that Americans are self-absorbed at this moment, even though it seems... Uh, crazy and like we are ceding a lot of ground to the Chinese and others. I do think job number one is actually us figuring out how to strengthen our own democracy and our own unity and a, a commonality, once again, that we had for 70 years and don't have right now about America's role in the world and why the role we have taken is beneficial to us and beneficial to others. So, um, have you talked to anybody at your new place of employment about what the agenda is and is the agenda in this place in London measurably different from the conversations you've been having in the U.S.? Uh, So, I have not started work yet. I don't start until Thursday of this week. Uh, And I don't, but I do think it would be surprising if the International Institute for Strategic Studies hired me to be the deputy director general if they thought my views on this were wildly inconsistent with the institution. <laughs> Who is that crazy lady? <laughs> what well, is she that, doing that, here? Why are we paying her? <laughs> well, that's not really what I was getting at. What I was getting at was that we we have a very sort of Trump-centric, Washington-centric conversation going on. And there's an ar- an argument to be made, and a lot of people have made it, that the rest of the world is going on with their business without... Oh, I do think that's true, David. Yeah, I definitely think that's true. I I think that, you know, all the, all the uh, febrile arguments we are having ab- about Donald Trump, he's just not that interesting to people who don't go to Davos, 
right? Like the Davos, the picture of the Davos crowd all holding up their cell phones to take a picture of Donald Trump was I, was a I, reminder. Yes, can I share with you? Can I share with you a tradition that that was started by my my dear friend Timothy Noah, formerly of Slate uh, Magazine, now at Politico who years ago when Davos was really hot, remember when Bill Clinton would go and it was really, really cool. Uh, he started a tradition. He had a bunch of t-shirts made up that said too cool for Davos. And he got various famous people who hadn't been invited to Davos to, to mm -hmm. wear it. Uh, and he would then photograph them and, and interview them on why they were too cool for Davos. Uh, and I think we should start that tradition again. That's a brilliant idea. And can I make my own suggestion <laughs> is that we should have a Dunces Prize, an annual Davos Dunces Prize. And this year, as with probably the 46 consecutive previous ones, it should go to Klaus Schwab. Um, for 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 uh, sympathizing with Trump um, being a victim of biased interpretations. Uh, and I, yes. I actually propose, and this is how I can dig myself out of the little hole, that the prize for the Davos Annual Dunces cap on Deep Straight State Radio should be a public nipple piercing. I think I think Klaus Schwab has earned his nipple piercing because that was a, a piece a piece of sycophancy beyond even his standards. First of all, let me say the following. That was not an image that I needed to see. <laughs> it's too late. The, the notion of Join Klaus, the club, Schwab's, <laughs> Klaus Schwab's aging. Ah, David, don't make it any more vivid than it already is. I'm sorry. Groupie. No. Ah! No, no, I just. I'm going to hang up. I didn't <laughs> I didn't really didn't need it. But on the other hand, I do like the idea of the uh, dunce of the year award and actually making dunce caps and sending it to the winners. I just <laughs> like the idea of them getting a very tall hat box and then they open it up. <laughs> and, uh, and I should let, let me issue a correction. It was not too cool for Davos if it was it was are you it was too busy for Davos. And I will tweet this out to our to our people so they can see the amazing t shirt, even if they don't have a dunce cap. Well, I like I like where you're going. And I think Ed, you may have redeemed yourself and saved yourself one unnecessary nipple piercing. Now let me turn to another subject that is seems appropriate in the wake of the um the uh, State of the Union, which, as you know, took place a couple of days ago. Um, typically, this and this is a new thing, you know, started a few years ago. Uh, the, the president brings people into his 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 box. They sit with his wife and and he uses these people as props. You know, he's supposed to be playing tribute to them, but basically they're props that he's using for political effect. And of course, you know, this year, you know, Trump had, you know, some guy who, whose life is made entirely better by tax cuts and, and so forth. But, you know, it strikes me that um, the, 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 there's the subtext, which I want to sort of get at here, which is sort of a core Trump subtext, because essentially what he's saying all the time is we're making America great again, and this is a horrible place to live. And, he, and he's trying to jam these two ideas together. And so also in the box were the parents of two girls who were murdered by MS-13. And there were um, uh, uh, people who uh, had um, been, uh, I mean, besides, you know, a few requisite heroes and so forth, 
there were other, you know, uh, agents that were uh, dealing with the attacks of MS-13 or um, uh, threats on the United States, you know, from other groups. Now, you know, first of all, the president loves this MS-13 gang threat thing, um, even though this is, you know, it's a it's a street gang. It's a nasty street gang, but it's a it's a street gang. But it plays into his image that, you know, America's in a very dangerous place and we need walls and a military because everybody's afraid. And 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 when Pierce Morgan, who probably also deserves a dunce cap ed. Um, he does indeed. And a nipple piercing. And a nipple piercing um, for his interview with the president, which the president said, some, if you haven't read this interview, go read it. His take on climate change is just mind boggling. But at some point, the president, you know, is talking about how, you know, he's not really a feminist, but he likes women. And, you know, there's this oh, whole. for Christ's sake. Yeah, no. And he likes women. He likes men. He likes everybody. Um, and this. This led to, you know, a discussion in which he said, you know, you know, what women really want is security. They want, they're afraid. They need a wall. They need a stronger military. That's what women care about in this country. And I'm just, you know, you guys are people who cover national security and defense all the time. And I'm just, I'm just wondering, you know, do you think the world is more dangerous now than it's ever been? Are we, you know, is Trump right? Are we, should we be afraid of, you know, El Salvadoran gangs and more than we were, say, the, you know, joint armed forces of the Soviet Union. Uh, Rosa? Um, I'm not more afraid of El Salvadoran gangs, although I'm a little bit afraid of Salvadoran gangs. Uh, in, in the David, in the in, in our own town, Alexandria, Virginia, there have actually been a number of uh, homicides linked to Salvadoran gangs. So I'm a little bit worried about that. However, that being said, on the level of sort of existential threats to the United States, um, uh, I think that what Salvadoran gangs represent, which is the globalization of, of crime, the globalization of organized crime is something we should be scared about. Uh, and the fueled by global capital flows, global weapons, small arms trades, et cetera. Those are things we should be worried about. But that said, the idea that we're going to solve that problem with a, you know, Trump's border wall or ending so-called chain migration is just delusional. Um, but but no, I mean, the, the world is the world more dangerous. Yes and no. The world's always been more dangerous. And as Corey said in our last episode, uh, about nuclear threats it's and the, the doomsday clock inching forward again. Uh, it's not particularly clear that the threat of global nuclear catastrophe is in fact greater than at the peak of the Cold War, for instance. You know, that being said, I think I think that there, you know, Trump, as usual, sort of fixated on the wrong things uh, in his rhetoric. I, I actually thought that the uh, recent release of the national military strategy was a, a pretty good corrective in, in the sense of saying terrorism, et cetera, is not the biggest threat we have to worry about. It's it's much more a combination of, of possible resumption of great power conflict, plus more subtle and inchoate threats that in the cyber domain, et cetera, that we need to worry about. Speaking of which, I hope we're going to talk a little bit about the fact that every time you go jogging, you are giving information to the enemy. Mm, oh. Oh, yeah. Why I don't jog. <laughs> thank you. America's America. Thanks you for your 
sloth. America is safer because of Rosa sloth. <laughs> exactly. So, by, so by, by the I, way, Rosa Brooks's sloth is is definitely an animal for the menagerie. No, the sloth is truly my spirit animal. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to weigh in on this too. Um, so uh, it is not true that the world is more dangerous. Uh, recently, both the world in general and the United States specifically have never been safer, right? The likelihood of surviving infancy, the likelihood of being well, uh, of having good nutrition and decent medical care and not living in poverty and not dying a violent death, Right there, there has not been a safer time to be alive in the world than our present time, and we often, because we don't look at the slope of the line, we look at our immediate, um, you know, what's in the newspaper. We often forget that the world is actually an awful lot safer than it's ever been. Crime rates in America are also at at lower levels than they have been in a very long time. Thank you, Rosa, and police like Rosa. Um, and, no problem. That was single-handedly my my, <laughs> my work. <laughs> uh, your Anytime. work's a contribution to it. It's people who care about the public good and want our police force to protect and to serve, choosing to serve themselves like you and your husband do that. I think it's really wonderful, Rosa. Well, thank you, Corey. And on that note, public service announcement for Deep State listeners in the Washington, D.C. area. If anyone is interested in volunteering with the Washington, D.C. Metropolitan Police Reserve Corps, uh, send me a, send me an email and I'll tell you how. It's a wonderful initiative. I encourage deep state nerds to do that. We were talking earlier about pointless protests versus meaningful activity to shape our country. Being a reserve policewoman or policeman is a terrific way to serve your community. Didn't um, I see, so, Rosa, that you were that you were also giving some talk on this subject? Uh, I, I seem to see are, some. I am with a colleague of mine here at Georgetown, uh, my wonderful colleague, Christy Lopez, who's now at Georgetown, is formerly at the Justice Department, where she wrote the Ferguson report. We are giving a talk on February 8th at the DC Labs, and we'll tweet out all the information on a, a program that we are doing uh, with the Metropolitan Police that's designed to uh, uh, get young officers and recruits in the DC Police uh, Department to think and talk about issues of uh, racial justice, uh, overcriminalization, et cetera. So yeah, and if you find any of that too depressing, but you're in Washington that week. Why don't you do a twofer? And you should go and hear Rosa and her colleagues speak. But on the evening of February 6th, you could go to the Kennedy Center and listening listen to my wife, Carla Canales. There you go. Um, Yay! Who is doing a, a performance of all Leonard Bernstein songs um, in honor of the 100th anniversary of Leonard Bernstein. And it's very uh, 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 uh Timely, I think a lot of the songs were written in the 70s and late 60s in a period of protest. David, I think that it would really encourage our listeners to go to that if you would just sing a few bars 
of a of a <laughs> Leonard Bernstein song that you particularly like. Well, no, it, in fact, it is Leonard Bernstein. By the way, I can't believe I said Bernstein, but Le- Leonard Bernstein. And uh, I've signed an oath never to sing in public or private or in a shower. Did, did your wife uh, make you sign that oath? Was that a condition of the marriage, or, or was almost, that uh, predating almost, that? Yeah, I mean, yes. <laughs> Yes, and uh, almost everyone who's ever heard me sing has made me sign that oath. It's just not my, it's not my strong suit. Let me put it that way. But so next week's going to be a busy week. Lots of events. There's lots of. I I had one more serious point to make on this. uh, Trump saying what women want is for us, you know, to keep the world from. The dangerous hellhole it is currently, which is that, um, you know, that's a time-honored populist appeal. You're in danger and you need the power of the state to save you. Um, And that is nowhere less true than in these United States, right? The American government is not the solution to all of our problems. What makes us great is civic society, it's people volunteering for their police force, it's people going to hear Leonard Bernstein songs and taking, anyway, you guys get where I'm headed with this, that the president is appealing to a dark, dangerous undercurrent in order to justify policies that he favors. And I very much hope that he is misreading the women of America my guess is the several million who turned out at marches a couple of weeks ago probably uh, don't share the president's view. And we're trying to point out that they are actually concerned about third grade reading rates and healthcare care availability. And yes, they want a strong American military, but that's not the only thing they want from their government. And putting military spending as a counterweight to any other kind of spending, putting them in competition in ways that that prejudice us to fund the military and other things is, as one female American taxpayer, not what where I would like to see our country going. Here, here. Well, and those are, in fact, the women's demonstrations are, I believe, the largest demonstrations in American history. Uh, so it's a sign that there is something bigger afoot there and not exactly what the president of the United States uh, would like us to be talking about. Of course, one of the other things they don't want us to be talking about uh, was a little kerfuffle that took place a little bit earlier this week when the Republican Party could not so much as get the word State of the Union correct on the tickets for the State of the Union address. Oh, is that right? Yes, they, no. they, 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 well, they, it is a big word. They spelled it's, it unium, U-N-I-O-M, and uh, somehow no one caught that, which says something, <laughs> doesn't it, Ed? Unium. Yeah, that, that, I mean, there's a, an epidemic of typos <laughs> in, in in the Trump administration and beyond um, in sort of satellite organizations yeah, that, that is um, very indicative of, you know, what... Um, uh, the spelling abilities of the man at the top, um, but just to just to sort of uh, uh, you know look 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 back on the beginning of your question about MS13 and the, um, uh, the tendency of Trump to scapegoat 
people and try and scare us that the world is more dangerous than it is. If you remember last year when he gave his um, address to the Joint Houses of Congress, he proposed the creation of something called Voice, um, the Victims of Immigration Crime Engagement. In other words, uh, something within the DHS that was that would highlight anybody being a victim of a crime caused by an illegal immigrant. Um, and I'm not sure, I'd be interested to know if anybody else um, knows whether whether Voice um, actually got started under General Kelly, who was then heading the DHS. I imagine General Kelly would have been probably an enthusiastic supporter of creating such a unit. Um, uh, but that anybody, most other people, looking at the motives behind that wouldn't see public service or public safety as as the reason for it, but would see pure political scapegoating. Because I, I, I don't think crime rates have you know gone up. I don't think illegal immigrants are more likely. I think they're statistically less likely to commit um, um, dangerous crimes than citizens. Um, and I think this was a, an attempt um, to make people think otherwise. I, so I'd be interested to know whether this was actually up and running or whether it's got any data to collect. Well, it certainly hasn't gotten a lot of uh, publicity since then. And, of course, Kelly's been very busy calling people up, saying the president would like changes in the Justice Department and so forth. Um, but, you know, we can frame this in a lot of ways. But at the end of the day, given the nature of the way the president's framed it, this is all pretty much nativist race baiting from the Stephen Miller, Stephen Bannon school. And it continues on. Even in the absence of Stephen Bannon uh, as a as a theme of this administration, um, and uh, you know, it, it when you go and you fill up your box at the State of the Union uh, with people who say, "Oh, Latins are the threat. Let's be afraid of Latins." Um, it's it's uh, obviously just doubling down or tripling down or or I don't, I don't even know what the appropriate uh, 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 language is because it's. It's 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 reiterating this thing for a thousandth time, um, and and it's a it's a very very scary component of Trumpism, and it's something to keep in mind as you're sitting there reading all these stories, saying, "Oh, he wasn't as crazy as usual. Uh, this uh, this could be a turning point because it never is, and this kind of symbolism suggests that it's not." Um, well, ladies and gentlemen, we've come to the end of another episode. It's late where Corey is, and she has to go and go to sleep um, or whatever, whatever she's doing. I can always tell because, you know, unbeknownst to all of you who are out there listening, I can tell how engaged people are when in the far flung realms here by watching them tweeting at each other during the episode. Um, and so, so I, so I go at Corey's. You sense you know, our flagging interest. Yeah, it's like Corey's not so interested in him. Wait, she's tweeting with Rosa. What's going on? Well, I was just tweeting out the very nice article on the front page of the IISS website announcing that Corey is arriving and is going to serve as deputy director general. It's got a nice picture of Corey, and everybody should check it out. And I was just should. thanking my friend Rosa for that kindness. <laughs> no, and, and I think that was all lovely. And all I can say is dyslexics beware. Because you will think that Corey has joined ISIS. 
<laughs> and had she in fact joined ISIS, then I'm sure that uh, General Votel would not have been able to say, as he just said, they're mere weeks away from defeat. If with far more formidable foe. I thank you for that, my friend. I thank you. That is true. And with Corey in command, the IISS is likely to become extremely dangerous. And and probably so, will take over some territory. Yeah, we, we're, we're counting on it. Dolce Gabbana will be the first stop. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, remember, if you send in a good idea for a new episode or if you send in a good idea for promoting us or you send in any other good idea to us, you could get a deep, deep state mug or you can get a deep state shirt. And within a week or two, there will also be deep state sweatshirts. Oh, my God, the swag. Go to deep state swag. On Twitter, you can follow that. That'll tell you everything you need to know about the deep state swag. And remember, compare us to other podcasts, which refer to this kind of stuff as merch. This is not merch, because if it were merch, you'd have to pay for it. This is swag. It's something you get for free. For free. We like you better here at Deep State Radio than those other podcasts do. So stop listening to them and listen to us. Good night, Corey. Sleep well. Good night, everybody. everybody. Good night, Ed. It's the middle of the afternoon. Good night. And, and, And you too, Rosa. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.